Welcome to Veteran Voices, a podcast dedicated to giving a voice to those that have served in the United States Armed Forces. On this series, jointly presented by Supply Chain Now and Vets to Industry, we sit down with a wide variety of veterans and veteran advocates to gain their insights, perspective, and stories from serving. We talk with many individuals about their challenging transition from active duty to the private sector, and we discuss some of the most vital issues facing veterans today. Join us for this episode of Veteran Voices. Hello, everyone. This is Mary-Kate Saliva here with you today. I'm your guest host, I should say your actual main host here. We don't have Scott with us today, but here with you on Veteran Voices, gearing up for an incredible podcast episode today with one of my favorite veterans. Uh, But before we start and and hear from him in a bit, we're going to talk about a little bit programming notes here. We are part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, and today's show is in partnership with a nonprofit near and dear to me, the Guam Human Rights Initiative, and you can learn more about what they're doing at guamhri.org. And also, for my Navy veteran sister out there, Marina Rabinek, the founder of Military Women's Collective, and you can learn more about the incredible work she is doing out there in California at militarywomenscollective.org. Uh, great partners there, and check them out. And today's show is also going to be talking about Uh, I consider him a friend, a mentor, a fellow Hoover Veteran Fellowship friend of mine. He is a Marine Corps veteran and also somebody who you should follow. And he's a published author, three-time national boxing champion, Naval Academy graduate, Marine Corps veteran. I mean, he wears uh, many hats, has many titles, and he's out there hustling, making it happen every day in Newark, New Jersey. And nationwide. Uh, he's also the founder of Ironbound Boxing. And I'm so honored to welcome with us on the show Iron Mike Stedman. So thank you so much for joining me today, Mike. Thank you for having me, Mary Kay. It's good to see you again. I just like good to see you too. And I was like, I realized I had to roll right into that without taking a breath because I was like, there's so many things that you're doing right now um, and with your own podcast. So I just wanted to to start off today. I know you probably you have a list of great quotes that I even took notes on from your your book, but I was wondering if you could kick us off today with a favorite motivational quote or lyric of yours. Yeah, I don't know who's it, but I just remember um battles don't always go longer faster man, but sooner or later man that wins is the man that can. And I just goes to the aspect of just confidence and belief in yourself even when you're against the odds. And that has always stood out and it's something I've con- uh, myself and myself over and over again. Oh, I love that. I actually, I think you're the, the first guest that's that's highlighted that quote. And I can see where that really resonates with where you're at now and, and where you started from. Now, and for those of us who are just tuning in audio here, Iron Mike is, he's not an old man. He's, he's a young man and he's out here getting and making things happen. And Mike, I'm just so impressed with what you've accomplished uh, in in just a short amount of time and just even what you're getting after year after year. Uh, but I was wondering if you could take our listeners back to uh, your upbringing. And I know you touched on it a bit in your book, Black Veteran Entrepreneur. Uh, but where'd you grow up at? Yeah, I'm, I'm from uh, Bryan College Station, Texas, but also claimed Tyler, Texas, because I lived in Tyler and Bryan College Station um, growing up. My grandma, my family, there, we lived there for a few years. Then my mom uh, working in Bryan School, 
and then we went back to Tyler and to Brian. Ultimately, up high school and college station, and so that's why I claim that the most. But um, grew up in Texas. A lot of people think I'm from Newark because of here, and I so hard, but I'm not from Newark. I just related to Newark um, when I transitioned out of Marine Corps in 2015. Oh, great! So, but do you claim? Would you say you claim Newark now, though? Newark is your home. Now? I do claim Newark. I do claim Newark. Absolutely. But Texan at heart. <laughs> What's well, yep. um If you get a little bit, so I know, like, would you say it was a small town upbringings for you? Uh, it's a really small town. I mean, I'm not going to say it will. I don't want to be disrespectful, dunk, but <laughs> it, was a, it was a college town. Texas yeah. University was there. Um, I it's a lot than like the big metropolitan area used to now, like uh, you know, New York or Newark or Philadelphia, et cetera. But it was a really bustling town. I'm not gonna say that there wasn't a lot to do. I really enjoyed growing up there, but it was great. I have no complaints about my upbringing. Uh while at times challenging, I'm very thankful for the the challenges and I was able to overcome um because I ultimately, you know, um very happy where I'm at in life. And I did a lot of that to the upbringing I had. I think that's fantastic. Um, so I think that's, I think that's a testament to just where you came from. Like you say a college town, but you, you're, I think you're also like a serial networker. You really know how to bring people together. Um, you mentioned about your mom. So I was wondering you could touch a little bit with our listeners today about your upbringing. Like it meant talk a little bit about your mom. So I, I think uh, she just sounds like a really strong, incredible woman. Just saw yeah, a little so, bit that I heard about her. Yeah, so my mom, um, she was a director of special education at uh, Bryan High School. Um, so she was grew up as an educational um, administrator. Like I said, really focused on special education. But yeah, she raised me by herself. So me and my older sister, my older sister about six years older than me, name is mm-hmm. Candace. And so she ended up going to uh, University of Texas and then going to AM for grad school. I chose to go to the Naval Academy and ultimately ended up going to Rutgers for grad school. But the entire time we we're growing up, my mom worked multiple jobs to keep a roof over our head, you know, um, from working the front desk of the YMCA in the evening to uh, mm-hmm. catering jobs, whatever she could do to, you know, um, pay the bills. And so, again, that's the character I grew up in. And it's a true testament to who you are as as a person today. I think you just working off of anything. I think one of the things I love about you, Mike, is that you're so innovative. You know, you know how to make a lot out of something little and you come out with those challenges and i know from from our perspective it's probably like mike's just got it all together and i know that's not necessarily the case but i think it it just seems to come a lot from like what you're saying about your mom just out there making it happen finding a way yeah i mean um sometimes you just got to figure it out you know um growing up like i said we didn't have much we made we did the best we could with what we had and so that's always just been a part of my um, philosophy of just, you know, figuring out, being thankful for what you have, you know, casting right. your bucket where you are and making magic out of nothing. Sometimes you got to turn lemons into lemonade. Oh, I love that. I love that. And so you ended up talking about choosing the Naval Academy of all places. Now you were, you grew up in a college town. So what made you not want to go just down the street? Um, I think it was just too close to home. Um, mm. For one, I wanted to go to the military and you know, I could potentially pursue the Corps of Cadets in A&M and I was actively pursuing it. But, right. you know, once I found out about the Naval Academy, I realized, like, not only do you have an opportunity to serve your country um, in the Navy or Marine Corps, but it also pays for school. Right now, there is a five year commitment, yeah. but that was super appealing to me. 
And then also, I think when I started learning more about the prestige of like Annapolis, it was a new place. It would be a great opportunity for like a fresh start. And so I was really excited about that because, you know, when you go to school where you grow up, sometimes it can stifle your like personal growth. And I had always been one of those people that like I wanted to leave Texas to, for school. I, even from an early age, I knew the world was big and I wanted to yes. get out there and explore it. And I just felt like Annapolis was a great opportunity for me to do so. Absolutely. And I, I know I had mentioned earlier um, in the intro about you being three-time national boxing champion. Now, was was boxing something that you were recruited for or is that something that you just stumbled into? How did that happen for Because you you played for Navy, right? Yeah, no, I was not. People think because I'm so passionate about boxing that I somehow grew up with it. That's not the case mm -hmm. at all. It's just that when you go to the Naval Academy, you have to pick a sport. Um, right. I grew up playing high school basketball. So I was used to that camaraderie and going to practice and everything. And so, you know, I didn't want to do intramurals in Navy. And so I tried a couple of different things, one being crew. And ultimately I settled on boxing and just fell in love with it. Struggled a little bit at first, but ultimately found out I was really good at it. And then it's just been a part of my life ever since. You know, and I think that's really great for, for those that may be trying to start something later in life and just to saying it's just not too late to start because you clearly started as a, as a young man, as an adult and uh, look at you now. <laughs> I mean, and you're out there in the rink, like making mentoring others, other kids in New York, New Jersey. Um, so again, when at the Naval Academy, you get that option to essentially choose like which pathway you want to take. Now, did you know at the time they won, like you wanted to be a Marine or was that something that, that came, how, how did that happen? I think I went to Navy with my options open. Um, I think mm -hmm. at the time I wanted to be a Navy SEAL, to be um, honest. But once you get there and you realize the reality of what it takes and swimming right. and being cold and wet was not my jam. I also thought about being a <laughs> pilot at one point, a Marine pilot. But also that was another skill set that like I just really didn't have, you know, in terms of, you know, there's a lot of math and physics associated with that as well. But yes. I really one thing that was always underlying was I wanted to be a ground pounder. Right. So mm. even though I would explore these different things, I still always came back to like Marine infantry officer. And ultimately, that's what I chose to pursue. Now, when you go from the Naval Academy, there's no guarantee you'll be able to be an infantry officer or be a Marine. Nonetheless, you have to basically apply for it. So I was able to get Marine Corps. And then once I graduated, you know, I had to go through the basic school. And I earned the right to be an infantry officer. And so I got to do that throughout my career. But I guess one thing I didn't mention, too, was going back to the boxing thing was uh, mm -hmm. when I mentioned I was good at it, I went on to win three national boxing championships and two most valuable boxer awards as a light heavyweight and then finished wow. up as captain of my boxing team. So boxing was very impactful in my life. And just and and for those who don't know, it's like you're going through that those four intense years where you're not just in the academic setting, but also learning how to be a leader, how to be an officer um, and, and what it takes. So on top of all of the challenges of being at a service academy, you're also in there getting it and at the box academy. And just wanted to give, you know, just a shout out and, and memory to our, you know, mutual um, friend, Jake Tenorio, who is just, you know, out there was on the boxing team with you and was a near dear friend of mine who, who we've lost since, but um, also from Guam. So, Again, I just um, think it's incredible that you said ground pounder because I'm thinking like as a boxer, as one ground pounder, ended up in the Marine Corps. Uh, where did it take you after you commissioned 
Where'd you end up going right after? Yeah, so I was stationed in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina with 1st Battalion, 8th Marines. I went mm-hmm. on deployment to Afghanistan in 2012, and then I deployed again in um, uh, 2014 to Japan and the Philippines with the same unit. So I spent my entire Marine career um, at 1-8. Now, when you first go on the Marine Corps, there was that whole year of training, which was the basic school, followed by the infantry officer course. But right. both of those were in Quantico, Virginia. So right after I graduated, though, and was done with IOC, you know, I went to North Carolina and uh, ended my um, time in the military there. I would say we have some like similar uh, timelines or not timelines, but pathways there, because I also ended up in the Philippines in service and also in North Carolina. How's how's your Tagalog right now? Any good? Non-existent. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I don't know. I was like, mine's long. It's just a little bit for me. Um, sorry for all my Tagalog speakers out there listening and I'm butchering it, but, um, I thought that was an incredible, uh, time for, for me as well in, in the Philippines. So North Carolina and you're coming out of service, but before we get there, did you have somewhere along the way in that time in the Marine Corps, any sort of, of mentors that, that stick out to you from that time? Yeah. Christopher Wynn, he was my company commander at the time he was a captain not sure what rank he is now but uh mm-hmm. when i was um after i got back from afghanistan you know they shuffle units around and everything so i had to get a new uh company commander and uh he was just great he poured into me he poured into all of us um really made that um deployment enjoyable um and actually i didn't even deploy i did a whole workup with uh that company which was bravo company at the time so like 9 months together bonding with the other platoon commanders bonding with the company commander and ultimately, because of my performance there, I got promoted to what's called Cat Platoon, which is weapons, which is in weapons company. Oh, wow. So a more senior position. And so I didn't actually get to deploy to the Philippines and Japan with Bravo Company. I deployed with a whole new unit, but it was great. And I really appreciate Christopher um, for um, just making that time enjoyable, you know, especially coming back from Afghanistan. You know, my confidence was a little shot, so I had to build that back up. And uh, it was just great all around. Yeah, and it's was that some I think with the the Marine Corps and being one of the smaller branches, you know you really get that time to get to know the the men and women that you're you're leading. Um, is that something that as far as some self-growth, was there something lessons learned for you being in a position of leadership, especially in a combat zone? I think um just being in the hot seat, understanding what leadership means, understanding what it means to really um empower your your junior marines because you're not going to be standing over their shoulder in combat it's just not the reality it's not how it's set up so mm-hmm. you know we're in this age now where people want to track people once they log on their computers did you get the work done you know just all this yep. maximum productivity but at the end of the day when you're in a combat zone you actually have to trust people are gonna be um do what they say they're gonna do right so that's why in the marine corps you know the core values of honor courage and commitment it's real and so um you know, the art of just delegating leadership, delegating, you know, trusting yourself, trusting your leaders, you know, that was a big thing for me and having the reps to do it. Because one of the things I'm finding out more and more in the civilian world, you know, we have this term leadership, but a lot of people have never really been in a leadership position. You know, more often than not, it's a managerial position. And a lot of times you can have a whole career without ever being responsible for other people. And so Mm -hmm. um, I'm very thankful that I got to learned that through the school of hard knocks early on and it's just a way of life for me at this point 
I like the the school of hard knocks and not everybody's gone through through that. And I, I know of a, some folks that I can think of on the top of my head that are avoiding ever being in a position where they're leading people. But there's uh, there, there's something to be said about being able to inspire, even if it's just one person. Like, and you mentioned Christopher, and I'm sure you know him tuning in that he'd appreciate you remembering that. Just any anything that he's taught you while taking you under his wing, and just being able to pass that knowledge forward, um, I think is something that you're continuing to do today. Even just for me sitting on the sidelines, you're still doing it and uh, inspiring folks of all ages. And you're wearing, like I said, many hats and, and leading it. Um, I, I did want to to get into um, coming back from, like you said, those leadership points, how you've taken those leaderships now. To, as you said, you were the founder of Ironbound Boxing. If you could talk to us a little bit about Ironbound Boxing, but firstly, how you ended up getting into it. What, what made you realize that there's a gap and you need to fill it and you'd be that guy? Yeah. So while I was at Navy and I said this before, you know, being a three-time national champ, I spent a lot of time at inner city boxing gyms and Baltimore, D.C., New York City. And one of the things that bothered me was a lot of young men and women inside these gyms look like me. So, mm-hmm. you know, at the Naval Academy, there aren't too many. They're, they're better now, but at the time, there just wasn't that many uh, black midshipmen, period. And then you go inside mm-hmm. the inner city, and boxing is a poor man's sport. So you end up having a lot of black and brown kids. And while we box at the academy, ultimately, we're going to serve our country as officers in the military, graduate from a world-class institution, and then we'll get out of the military and start businesses, work in corporate America, et cetera. But inside these inner city gyms, the kids felt like their only option was to turn pro, as they've seen others do, or go to the streets, right? That was the only pathway that was presented to kids for boxing. And I just felt like it was a broken system because, you know, at all the service academies from Air Force, West Point, Navy, it's all that same mission. Like, yes, we box. But we're so much more than that, right? It's not the end-all, be-all, right? Boxing is used as a leadership tool as opposed to, you know, our professional careers. And so I just want to present um, boxing as a more of a capacity-building tool for youth. And so that plants the seed for what will become Ironbound. And when I transitioned out in 2015, took a job working at a private school in Newark called St. Benedict's Prep, an all-boys school right in the heart of downtown Newark that catered to young men of color. They've since expanded to uh, women as well. But at the time, it was an all-boys school. And I lived in the residence hall with uh, 70 teenage boys for three years as their their house parent. But what that job gave me, one, it was in the evening. It allowed Mm -hmm. me to coach boxing in the afternoons. And it also gave me the flexibility to build Ironbound when I was uh, approached by the city of Newark. When I approached the city of Newark to build out a new boxing gym. And so... um, that kind of took off and, you know, we, I started a free gym doing exactly what I, I planned to do. And then over the years, it's just grown in the, you know, this amazing program where we provide free amateur boxing training at the Ironbound Boxing Academy. We provide entrepreneur education, teaching kids how to bootstrap a small business. Um, and then third, scholarship opportunities for our, our athletes. And so we're building our own little ecosystem to uh, build champions in and out of the ring. Again, the goal is not to merely create like world-class amateur boxers it's create world-class humans and some people golf you know some people like coding you know mm-hmm. and in newark and other inner cities we like boxing and so that's how we build relationships and rapport and confidence in the youth that we serve 
That's incredible. And definitely my hat's off to you and commend you for the hard work that you're doing and the patience that it has taken, you know, to even put yourself with uh, and, and live with uh, teenagers and getting to understand them. You'd mentioned earlier about boxing being a poor man's sport. What are some challenges? How, how have you tackled that negative, that historical negative connotation affiliated with boxing? Uh, like you said, you mentioned boxing or I mean, golfing, but golfing, we think of like a People in business suits, you know, going out there. Maybe the elite are involved in golfing, um, but you're you're talking about boxing here. And yeah, I think so, um, yeah. boxing mm-hmm. is one of those things where most people are on the outside looking in. So right. everybody loves boxing. It's a great workout. You've got fitness boot camp boxing gyms popping up all over from the you know Rumble, and then in Newark we have Grip Boxing. So it's cool and it's hip. But in terms of capacity building for inner city youth, I think now, I think people are so far removed from, let me rephrase this. I think the people best positioned to um, provide capital and affect change in the inner city are also the ones that are furthest removed from it, right? So mm-hmm. it's almost like they're on different wavelengths. And so I think certain programs sound good, like an after-school tutoring program, or a coding program, but there also has to be this pull from the community, right? And yes. boxing is something that, I mean, Muhammad Ali, right? Prime example. The branding has been built. It's established. Kids want to feel like a champion. You don't have to sell boxing. You really don't have to educate boxing to these kids. They get it. They know it and they want it, right? And so rather than fight against that, we use that. And while some institutions are more interested in like i said after school programming and all that other stuff we stick to what we're good at which is amateur boxing and we talk to an audience in terms of our funders that understand that and that's why you see me so much in the veteran community because those are the ones that typically fund us more than anyone else veteran nonprofit, i mean veteran businesses uh nonprofit leaders the veteran community as a whole and its affiliations they understand boxing provides an opportunity to build confidence, resilience, courage, and grit. And they understand that kids in a challenging environment in the inner city, they lack, a lot of them lack confidence. Let's just be honest. And so they need a place where they can go build themselves up and boxing makes sense to them. So we don't fight it as much as we used to. I'm very targeted in terms of what I dedicate my time and attention to. And if people feel some kind of way about boxing, it's not my responsibility to, you know, educate them. This is my personal opinion, um, because they're never going to support us anyway. So I would rather support. I would rather spend that time effort on people who get us, understand what we're doing and are more than willing to support. Absolutely. And I think even now as an adult, when I sit into in courses like certification courses is usually like a, a booklet, the latest edition manual that's telling me like box methodology. This is how you need to go from step A to, to, to Z. And this is how you're going to do it. But in just watching and, and tuning into some of your podcasts too, and just what your methodology and how you're helping these kids, you're giving them that space and that room to grow and really have go through that self that journey of self-discovery instead of you coming in there and being like, you've had this wealth, your wealth of knowledge, which one of the top counties country world experience coming with all this leadership experience as well. And you're not telling these kids, this is, this is what you need to do. You're, you're, you're empowering them to be able to, 
to do that, to find it for themselves and to grow that confidence, which I think is absolutely incredible. Um, but the fact that you identified the, the the veteran organization or veteran businesses were able to, to help you and they'd identify more, I think is really interesting. Did you want to add to how you, you came upon that discovery to, to bridge that gap? Yeah. I mean, for years it was, I was fighting an uphill battle to raise funding for our program. And then right. one day I looked up and I got my biggest donation from a Naval Academy classmate. I was like, oh, wow. that's interesting. And then I started looking at some other donations and I realized like by and large, they were veterans anyway. And so then I started to really kind of double down on that. And especially when the pandemic hit, so many veterans reached out to me to support what we were doing. And that's really when I knew. And so mm. that's around that time, right around 2020, like I was already kind of making the transition because I won a big grant in 2019 through the Street Shares Foundation for 25K. Mm. And so then um, by the time I, you know, 2020 hit, I had already been like, yeah, I need to focus on nourishing these relationships with the veteran community. And, and I will add that you basically, you essentially left corporate America to be able to to do this full time. Um, is that is that right? Like you're, you're doing this full time, right? Yeah. So I never worked in corporate America, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I, I got out the military and I took a job working at St. Benedict's and I literally wore board shorts. And drank coffee and ate bacon like every day, right? Now I was a house mm-hmm. parent, so I made sure kids got out the house. But I never worked in corporate America, and um, I knew because I knew boxing was a poor man's sport, and amateur mm. boxing was an extremely poor man's sport. That um, I would need to have some income for myself um, if I wanted to do Ironbound full time. So as I think sometimes we sell this vision of like, oh, I'm gonna quit my job and I'm gonna start this nonprofit and it's gonna be great. But certain business models are just hard, right? Yeah. Um, whether they're nonprofit or for-profit. So if you open a restaurant, it's notoriously hard, right? Mm-hmm. Just what it is. You start a consumer packaged goods company selling stuff out of your, that you're cooking, you know, or baking or whatever and selling online, it's notoriously hard, right? Because there's a lot of cost, there's a lot of time and labor. Nonprofit, same thing. And so yeah. I wasn't banking on... I, 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 although I wanted to be able to do Ironbound full time and it would have been great if I could have had a salary from the nonprofit at the time, we only had like $3,000 in the bank account. So that wasn't realistic for me. And so when I left my full time job, I attempted to stand up a for profit arm of Ironbound teaching on site boxing classes to companies in the New York City metro area, which I ultimately did um, turn into a little lifestyle business for myself which in yeah. turn allowed me to grow the nonprofit because I had the freedom and flexibility to do it when I wasn't teaching these corporate boxing classes. But mm-hmm. ultimately, the pandemic uh, put that business out, mainly because businesses fell for two reasons. Number one, no market need, and they ran out of cash. And when the pandemic hit, there was no longer a need for on-site boxing classes. And so while my clients, some of them able to uh, pivot to doing virtual, it just wasn't fulfilling me. It wasn't fulfilling to me. Like, that's not what I had got into. I'm a people person. And so I ultimately ended up shutting down that business and launching what became Ironbound Media, producing podcasts and creating content for veteran organizations and businesses. No, and I think just even in your consulting now too, correct? Yeah, business coaching. Business coaching, which I think, you know, for anyone out there, you are incredible wealth of knowledge. You have a lot of backing. You have have a genuine uh, nature and a good heart that... I mean, if anyone listening out there needs a, a business coach, 
I think you have you have overcome so many uh, challenges, like you said, three thousand dollars in the bank account, and that would be nerve wracking for anybody uh, to be able to take that leap, and especially to see how successful you are now without having even stepped into corporate America. I think is incredible. Um, so, which brings me to wanting to touch on your your book, uh, Black Veteran Entrepreneur. I actually have it here with me, an autographed copy. Uh, don't you. be jealous to our listeners. Um, but you had uh, co-wrote that with Lana Abernathy, which was also a Naval Academy graduate. And if you could just share a little bit about how this book came about and and talk to, I, I think it better coming from you, the book, instead of me sharing it. Yeah. Um, well, when I got out. Like most of us, when we transition out of the military, we know very little about business, right? Um, right? And so when I came up with this idea to start Ironbound Boxing, I was just a guy trying to fund a free boxing program. I had no real business acumen. I was just trying to will it with grit and determination. And ultimately, I started to get exposed to these entrepreneur education programs offered to the veteran community. First, Stanford Ignite for post-9-11 veterans. It was like a four-week entrepreneurial boot camp at Stanford's Graduate School of Business that I got to participate in. I got connected with Bunker Labs, a national network of veteran military spouse entrepreneurs committed to growing the ecosystem of businesses in that community. Uh, street shares, just tons of these amazing programs. And back in 2017, when I first went to Stanford Ignite, I was the only black male in my cohort of wow. like 30. And so the more and more of these programs I went to, I kept seeing a pattern over and over again of like, hey, where are all the black veteran entrepreneurs? And I realized that rather than, and I know they're out there, um, but a lot of times certain communities can, whether they intend to or not, not create agency where people feel like, oh, this is for me, right? So over 40% of the military is minority period. But when you would look at the companies that were getting invested in by the military community, right? You no, know, um, I wasn't seeing uh, that reflected uh, that number, right? And so essentially, rather than putting a thumb in people's eye, I decided to be part of the solution instead of the problem. And I came up with this idea to write a Black veteran entrepreneur with Alana, with Alana to teach our community how to uh, launch a venture, whether you receive funding or not, and just sharing some of the lessons I learned over the years from running Ironbound Boxing, launching Ironbound Media, investing in business coaching. Um, and all the knowledge and books and stuff I read. So that way people feel empowered and we can start to grow this community and create a networked effect of more black veteran entrepreneurs, brown entrepreneurs, you know, just underrepresented entrepreneurs in general. And also with the intent that not only do these entrepreneurs build their ventures and um, grow them, that they also reinvest in their local community in some capacity. So that was the other thing that, um, a lot of the black veteran entrepreneurs I came across through pitch competitions, et cetera, they all had this social focus to their businesses. And that's something that I wanted to cultivate and say, hey, that's OK. And so really, black veteran entrepreneur is more of Alana and mine's point of view of how we see the entrepreneurial landscape. But it's more than that. It's also a playbook. So, you know, sometimes people write books and it's uh, this is me and my story. I'm important. That's not the case. If anything, my oh. story is just like one of eight featured um, throughout the book, I believe. Um, and it's more of a case study. Um, so I hope people um, enjoy it and get value out of it, but more important, implement it and pass it along. No, I 100%. And I just want to applaud you for 
for being transparent. I was up to like two o'clock in the morning uh, over the holidays uh, when I when I got your book home, and uh, I was I was taking notes. And I for those you know, like for me, I just started my own nonprofit this past year, and so many like you said, just that playbook. So many things that you brought up were things that I'm facing right now or was facing at the time when I was reading the book. And I was passing that on to my my co-founder. And there's just so many nuggets of information here and lessons learned that I appreciate it. And like you said, it, it is definitely not a book about look at me, look at me, I'm Iron Mike. You, there's things in here that you were, you were just transparent about your failures too, which I really appreciate. You didn't say it like you, you never stepped foot in corporate America and you had it all figured out and you found a way to, you know, there was stuff that you faced. Um, and I love that you started way back to just even your upbringing uh, to know that you weren't, you know, you didn't come out born with the silver spoon in hand. Um, so I appreciate that, Mike. Thank you. What was the biggest? Um, is there anything in the book that stands out to you more than anything else? I, you know, it's like the confidence because I've talked to you in person about this before the when that the the fact that you hadn't stepped into corporate America, you talk about funding yourself, like don't be afraid to to fund yourself. Um, I, I know I was looking at like how you have created, like you said, the ecosystem and you were able to to you didn't say like, I'm just the founder of Ironbound Boxing. And, and that's that's it. You've managed to, again, be that business coach. You found you're running a podcast. You're engaging with folks that are are smarter than you. But that your whole section, even just I think about funding, investing in yourself, funding, don't be afraid to fund yourself was something that I realized that I wasn't doing, that I was just like feeling kind of stuck, you know, like I can't find anybody to and I have to somehow tell the story to get people to to be on board. But I think that part was something that was a chapter that I really appreciated. Again, just knowing a little bit about your upbringing, too, was um, was strong. So. Um, I wanted to to touch on the fact what you said about the black veteran entrepreneur that you didn't see other folks, uh, other other folks writing about this topic. And you mentioned about uh, black veteran entrepreneurs being underfunded and underestimated, no different than the rest of our nation's black entrepreneurs. And you said, I envision a reimagined future where rather than relying on others to fund us, we fund ourselves starting our own venture capital funds to invest in one another and communities. Uh, could you, could you touch on that? Have, have you seen that the power of that working for you now? Um, not so we constantly, I'm constantly investing in other founders in general, whether it's through time. Right. And so sometimes time is money, right? So making time to, you know, talk them through brand strategy, you know, provide them insight and advice is super impactful. But one of the things that I was getting on is, you know, we know that there's this gap in the ecosystem in terms of funding, but we right. can't expect others to fund us if we don't fund ourselves. So mm-hmm. I envision a future where, you know, we create these cash flow positive small businesses and venture backed startups. That way we can fund our own, you know, venture studios to invest in other black owned businesses or black veteran entrepreneurs. It's mm-hmm. not just about investing in black veteran entrepreneurs about investing in black entrepreneurs period and i just feel that you know black veteran entrepreneurs within that group represent the biggest untapped resource because you know our peers let's just be honest right if i'm a black person in newark and let's say right. i went to college right i might have a lot of student loans right yep. that i'm still 100%. paying off so there's a lot more risk associated with me 
going into entrepreneurship, paying myself, et cetera. If I'm a black veteran entrepreneur living in Newark, right? And I went to school, school was paid for. I got the GI Bill. I got all this leadership experience, right? Mm-hmm. A local Newarkers do not have the same social network we have. And veterans are different because you can have two veterans having the same kind of business and business model, but no veteran wants another veteran to fail. So we're constantly no. helping each other out. Whereas in, you know, other communities like Newark, that might not necessarily always be the case. Right. And so what I'm trying to say of like, okay, people are talking about we need to do more for black owned businesses. And I'm saying, yeah, but within that is a niche that people are not focused on, which are black veteran entrepreneurs, which if they move forward, they're going to lift up others along with us. And so that's why you always hear me talking about lifting as we climb. So that was the mindset behind that. Oh, I literally just got goosebumps right now where you're saying that lifting up is climb, like standing on the shoulders of giants and the and the black. What I'm finding is like the black entrepreneurs, and especially like you said, even that niche of the black veteran entrepreneurs, they're reaching back and doing things in their local communities. So it's not it's not something that they, they're trying to necessarily tackle something that's tackling a nationwide problem like they're doing stuff at the grassroots level and they come from oftentimes from the very roots that. They come from that community that they perhaps grew up in or that they affiliate with, and uh, and they're trying to bring those up. So you said bringing us up together, veterans helping veterans, and they were the first ones that you said ended up funding you. So it's definitely an untapped resource that I appreciate you bringing up in your book because for my my nonprofit's focus primarily on human rights on an island, even though it's the U.S. territory, that's so far out of sight, out of mind. But looking at how to tap into the veteran community was something that I hadn't hadn't thought of doing, even though I'm, I come from this community, right? And that's why I love veteran voices so much is being able to amplify veterans who are, who are serving beyond the uniform. Um, so I, I love that is, and you and Alana, are you, are you out there, uh, doing, you're out there doing book signings? Where can folks get your book right now? Yeah, they, they can get go a on copy? Amazon. Yeah, just okay. go on Amazon and uh, purchase Black Federal Entrepreneur, uh, validate your business model, build your brand and step into greatness. And when you do, we would really appreciate if you left us a review. Um, that's okay. how we're going to be able to get the word out more about the book. It gives it social proof. So just make sure you're reviewing that. And then also just join our newsletter. Um, I actually have a newsletter, Dog Whistle Branding. Um, mm-hmm. That is for my company, Ironbound Media. But that's where I'm really focusing the brunt of my effort in teaching veteran businesses in general what it takes to stand out from the crowd and build trust and drive revenue with your perfect customer. And so I'll talk about branding talk about positioning and marketing and so it's just a really uh, great newsletter and you can uh just uh, join that at dogwhistlebranding.com fantastic i love that and could you touch a little bit about what you end up talking about in confessions of a native son as well because i know you, you you run that as that too yeah confessions of a native son was actually my first podcast and the focus of that is um really just uh my own kind of personal journal sharing my perspectives on race culture and business from the perspective of a black Marine infantry officer and Naval Academy graduate. So again, there's a lot of intersectionality there, but ultimately I just felt like my voice is not something people typically hear um, on the mainstream media or in the news. And so I just wanted to have a platform that allowed me to just um, express myself. And so that's what dog whistle, I mean, not dog whistle Brandon. That's what uh, confessions of a native son is. That's great. And I know like, um, and you know, for our listeners, I touched on it in the very beginning, but um, Mike, I was honored to be able to to be with you with the Hoover Veteran Fellowship Program. 
I guess I just touch on on current events here. We just spent the last year of of us, you know, amongst the initial 10 veterans that were selected for the inaugural veteran fellowship program and all of us focused on, you know, on different topics. Uh, but yours especially really spoke out to me. And uh, again, a testament to veterans helping veterans. Um, how was your experience? Do you feel like from, from what we've gone through this past year in the program under uh, Dr. Connelisa Rice? It's been great. Um, I've been lucky again. I never, um, had to pay to go to school at Stanford, but I feel like I spent a lot of time out there between Stanford Ignite and then being a Hoover veteran fellow. Um, just our cohort is amazing. You, Mary Kate, and um, you know uh, Jackie and Denise and all the people that make that program possible. And the icing on the cake was definitely being able to spend, um, you know, uh, a week in another country, the Republic of Georgia, um, on a study abroad trip. I haven't done anything like that before. And uh, it was just absolutely amazing to be away and be so present um, and visit a country that, you know, when you think about the East, especially the far East, like that's not a space I have a lot of um, agency in. So it was real interesting to be able to travel out there and experience that culture. And so I'm just I'm, I can't say enough positive things about um, the Hoover Institution and that amazing program. Yeah, I second you there. That was just an incredible I felt like a once in a lifetime experience, but to be able to do that with, with other veterans and, you know, with Jackie and Denise at the helm, just an incredible experience. And for our listeners, if uh, this program for post 11 veterans, you can check it out. It's out of Hoover Institution out over by Stanford University. And uh, you can reach out, you know, to Mike and I are happy to, to talk and share more about the program and uh, definitely encourage those to apply, especially if you're focused, passionate about a particular project that's impacting the American people. And um, I love, Mike, that you are, are tackling day in and day out on a topic that others are not thinking about, and you're connecting those dots and bridging those gaps. Um, wanted to, again, just be able to see about what's next for you. I want to, you know, what's next, what you, what you got coming up and and is there a way that perhaps our listeners can support you moving forward? Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me is obviously still working on creating impact here locally through our nonprofit Ironbound Boxing, um, tightening that up. Additionally on Ironbound media side, looking to grow that, get us a couple more uh, podcast clients because we enjoy producing what we call dog whistle brands, combining brand strategy and podcasting. Um, to help our clients attract the perfect customer and build trust and authority with them. And so um, mm-hmm. really that's my focus now. And obviously I have the book out, um, but obviously you can't do everything at once. And so I'm going to focus on that, continue to build amazing relationships within the community, continue to grow some of our podcasts, including mm-hmm. Dog Whistle Branding, which is another one I personally host and uh, just real excited for everything that's about to come. And I was saying, and for for our up and rising veteran entrepreneurs that are listening you also do a great deal with Bunker Labs. And I see you, Iron Mike, like out there on LinkedIn, but they're having you come out and speak all the time. So um, again, just if you could touch real quick on, on what Bunker Labs is, because I know that was a great opportunity that you you seem to be really into doing right now. Yeah, I came up through the Bunker Labs ecosystem. And as mentioned previously, their sole purpose is to help connect veteran entrepreneurs and military spouses with the tools, resources, and community that they need to grow businesses. And so I host a podcast for Bunker Labs called The Transition. Um, we go live on Tuesdays on off our, our live version um, on LinkedIn, but it drops every week um, as well. And so um, it's a great, if you're a veteran entrepreneur, military spouse, 
you need to be connected with Bunker Labs. We've got amazing programs to support you on your entrepreneurial journey. Great. And all right. So um, as far as Ironbound Boxing goes, one of the things that I'm already touching on in the in the fellowship at Hoover was about also mentoring up those those young girls out in New York, New Jersey, too. I think when we think boxing, I know the first thing that I'm I don't I don't initially picture a young girl or young woman boxing, but we have them and they're out there and they're they're tough warriors champions. Um, and so just how how can we support you at Ironbound Boxing specifically and those kids at the Courage Academy? Yeah, just go to ironboundboxing.org, um, make a donation uh, or contact us at uh, mike at weareironbound.com. We have a conversation about supporting the program, but it's really that. We're easy to find. You know, we have a good, strong social media presence. Um, so just reach out to us. Great. Thank you. Well, I appreciate your time today, uh, Iron Mike. And is, is there any final last words that you want to say about how folks can can reach you? No, I just I know how difficult it can be for a lot of veterans to transition. Um, mm -hmm. Biggest thing I can advice I give you, just try a bunch of different stuff. Right. It's exciting. The world is wide open. Um, right. And, you know, although my book is more geared towards entrepreneurship, you know, entrepreneurship means a bunch of different stuff. Right. Like. Not only can you start a business, you can start a side project, a nonprofit, whatever. Um, and I think there's real value in that. And also hearing the stories of what other veterans have done. So I would love for you to check out the book, leave me a review and let me know what you think of it. Thank you. Yeah. And touching on that, that transitioning piece, we have so many veterans uh, when they're or transitioning service members that want to step into the entrepreneurship space or even be consultants, be coaches. Uh, so definitely for our listeners, reach out to Iron Mike Stedman. He's on LinkedIn. He's all over the place. Check out Bunker Labs, like he was saying, and his incredible podcast and his book and podcast, wherever you can get podcasts from. Um, thank you so much, Iron Mike, for your time today. And for our, we invite all of you to subscribe to Veteran Voices, wherever you get your podcasts from. We're so grateful for uh, Supply Chain Now and our partners, again, the Guam Human Rights Initiative and Military Women's Collective for supporting us and for these incredible episodes where we amplify the voices of veterans serving beyond the, um, beyond the uniform. So do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. Thank you, and we'll see you all next time. 